Welcome to another episode of God in the Paranormal, a podcast exploring the supernatural from a biblical worldview. My name is Suzanne. And I'm John. Thank you so much for joining us. Suzanne, how did you talk to your kids about stranger danger? Oh, you know, that was one of the most frustrating things I ever had to do. Having to tell them how bad the world is when all they've known is love and safety, mm-hmm. a little piece of their innocence dies. And at some level, it plants a little seed of fear. It was hard for me to balance, be kind to the people in the world, and at the same time, not strangers. I actually had a version of this talk just this last weekend when my kids asked about what hitchhiking was and yeah. if we should pick up that hitchhiker we saw. Um, and that's always been really hard for me because I want to pick them up, but I don't feel safe doing it. Yeah, not a good idea. Because there are bad people in the world. And at some point, kids have to understand that for their own well-being. I know. It's a hard decision. On the positive side, though, you know, I don't like to talk about bad things to my kids. Like, Like you said, my kids were innocent. But the fact is that teaching them about those things really does make them safer. So it's kind of a trade off. The the result is that the kid now is safer than they were before. And I hope listeners understand the same principle applies to this podcast. I don't like talking about evil or evil things, but we discuss this darker side of reality because the Bible discusses it. Mm-hmm. I like what C.S. Lewis says about it. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both. That's true. I've come up against that several times. People saying that you're spending too much time talking about the devil. And then you hear people say, well, you don't talk about the devil enough. Paul actually uses the term this present darkness to describe the spiritual reality that we face every day. We won't have a true picture of reality, though, unless we understand this unseen threat. And remember, the dark side is just a small part of the whole story. The good news is that scripture tells us God has defeated evil through the sacrifice of Jesus, and he's given us the resources to avoid and be victorious over the enemy. That's true. In this discussion today... I would urge listeners to remember that this episode focuses on darkness. So obviously it's going to feel dark, but like it or not, it is an important part of our worldview. Yes. And if at any time you feel frightened or gloomy, you've missed our point. Christ is completely victorious over those spiritual forces of evil. Paul speaks of. He intends for us to be watchful and proactive, not vulnerable or obsessed. We have several messages from listeners. I wanted to respond to one of them before we get started today. It's an email from Tony who says she enjoys the show so far and wants us to hurry up and get to the weirder stuff. (laughs) Well, Tony, I understand your anticipation. I'm right there with you. We're getting there. I promise. Weirdness is just around the corner. But you bring up a good point. Our objective is a little different from the other paranormal podcasts. Instead of just relating strange phenomena, which we will certainly do, we want to examine them through a biblical worldview. Yeah, J. Allen Hynek was the head of Project Blue Book. That was the government study of UFOs back in the uh, 60s. 
He once said that UFOs and paranormal things in general present, quote, a high strangeness. That was Mm -hmm. his term. And what he meant was that that paranormal phenomena are just so diverse and unpredictable that there seems to be no context, even though the occurrences seem to be connected with each other in some strange way. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to disagree with one of my heroes, Dr. Heineck, but we actually do believe that the high strangeness has a context. And we'll certainly be bringing that out as we look at these phenomena later on. Yes. And in episodes one and two, as well as this one, we're trying to lay a foundation for that context. That's why we recommend listening to the first three episodes in order before any others. But hang on, Tony, the fringiness is coming. (laughs) That's right. Oh, I had another message from a friend this week who said, wow, you're doing a podcast. That must be complicated. What did you say to them? Well, I said, yeah, it's complicated, but we're highly trained podcasters. <laughs> are you talking about yourself or our technology, like this microphone plugged into my laptop? Well, I, I didn't go into that detail, but it's really not rocket science, is it? Not the way we're doing it. <laughs> Speaking of rocket science, though, I know a rocket scientist. Oh, nice segue there. Yeah, not to be a name dropper, but He actually was the lead mathematician for Apollo 11 through 13 missions. Whoa. Yeah, he calculated all the flight physics. And um, actually, he was arguably the one who saved Apollo 13 when it got all messed up. If you're, well, you don't remember, you weren't born then, but he was a really nice guy, Sunday school teacher, and just super smart. That's incredible. Yeah. I was trying to be smart in front of him once when we were talking, (laughs) and I said, There must be a lot of variables you had to take into account to get a ship to the moon and back. And he basically just kind of said, duh, of course, there's a lot of variables. (laughs) And then I said, I was trying to be even smarter and cover up and said, then what would happen if you missed one of those variables? And he kind of looked at me strange again and said, well, the rocket would go hurtling into outer space and be lost forever. (laughs) That is actually what you're talking about is one of my favorite scenes in the Apollo 13 movie and maybe one of my favorite scenes in all movies. But the guy on the ground brings in a box of items that are all in the spaceship and he dumps it on the table in front of the team of scientists. And he says, "Okay, how do we figure out how to bring everybody home with this stuff? Um, And I just thought, wow, that's problem solving. So what happens if we miss a variable in interpreting reality around us? Oh, there it is. I figured you would eventually tie this in. Well, of course. And you see what I'm where I'm going, don't you? Yes. The unseen reality is a crucial variable in this natural realm. That's kind of the foundation for this podcast. I think Paul is presenting that variable in Ephesians 6.12. We've referenced that several times already. But, quote, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's a really sobering statement. The dramas we experience every day may be just a shadow of what's going on in the unseen. We saw that last episode with Daniel's prayer. A major supernatural struggle was happening, yet all Daniel saw was that his prayer wasn't being answered. Yeah, and in this Ephesians 6 passage, Paul's referring to the negative aspect, obviously, of the supernatural, the devil and the other B'nai Elohim, or sons of God, who chose to rebel against Yahweh God. Let's read that entire passage again. It's worth hearing over and over. Okay. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And before we go further, let's think back again at the context of this. Right before these verses, Paul was just going on giving advice to children and parents and servants. And then all of a sudden, without missing a beat, he just goes into the supernatural. Yeah, and I don't think he is rambling here. He really considered the unseen to be an ongoing, seamless part of reality. Yeah, It was always a variable in his daily thinking. The unseen interacts with the natural. In fact, it could be more important than the natural um, or the flesh and blood, as Paul calls it. It kind of reminds me of Plato's cave analogy. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. People are in the cave and they're seeing the shadows on the wall of the reality behind them. And they think that that's reality until one day one of them gets up from their seat, walks out of the cave and sees the reality. Um, It's interesting. Yeah. And that will happen someday. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I'm glad Paul starts this section with the solution to the problem. We can be strong in the Lord through his power and the armor he provides. So there is absolute protection against what follows. And the reason he lays it out very clearly is so we can stand against the devil's deceptions. So the devil, also known as Satan, the evil one, Lucifer, Morningstar, the serpent, the dragon, the deceiver, a lot of names for this being. And in case anyone doubts that he is a real person, not just an evil force or the collective evil of all the people in the world. Jesus kind of settles that for us. He mentions Satan many times. He even addresses him by name at several points. But I think this verse just makes it crystal clear. Yeah. John eight forty four says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Wow. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, Jesus is a gentle person. He Mm -hmm. was kind to sinners. Um, When he describes a being this way, you know, this being is a bad. Oh, yeah. There's no question that Jesus considered Satan a real evil scheming or dangerous being. So the age old question that all skeptics ask, if God is good, why did he create evil? And that seems like a very good question. It is a good question, and I think it's one that even most believers ask at one point also. This is an example of another principle we use in understanding Scripture. Always evaluate the hard-to-understand concepts by the easy-to-understand ones. So we know from many passages that God is completely good. He's righteous. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. We also know that he created all things. So how do you put those two together? Why does evil exist? The answer may be as simple as uh, the Sophia robot. You've probably heard about her, haven't you? The You mean the robot with a woman's body who can yeah. respond just like a real person? Yeah, that's her. Oh. So she's still a little quirky. You know, you can kind of tell that she's a robot. <laughs> but what if someday they make her just so indistinguishable from a real human? Would you like to have her for a friend? Oh, man. Um I guess I could program her to agree with everything I said and tell me how great I am. (laughs) That would be fun for a while, but then I would probably start thinking, you know, she's just a bunch of circuits and computer code. 
she had no choice but to do what she's programmed to do. I'm not sure that would be a very satisfying <laughs> friendship at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Even Sophia's inventors say that she's just a sophisticated machine. Mm. They admit that. She has no consciousness. She's just computer code. Um, okay. You know, sometimes when Siri tells me to turn left and I keep going, I kind of have this twinge of guilt because I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking that she's thinking, why aren't you listening to me? And then I remember, oh, she's just, she's not real. She's just computer code. And and really artificial intelligence doesn't mean artificial consciousness. We're not talking about real feeling people okay. when we talk about robots or AI. And, you know, I could never pretend to know God's specific reasoning, but I assume he didn't see in, any value in having relationships with mindless robots. Yeah. Uh, you can't have a relationship with a machine. It's not even possible. So I think God made sentient creatures with the capacity to love and relate to him, which, by the way, still doesn't nullify his sovereignty in any way. Yeah. And relationships are meaningless unless they are chosen. What good is a friend who is forced to like you? Yeah. Which means the the being must also have the ability not to choose. Yeah, not to choose. That has to be a choice. And that's been the traditional view that humans and the sons of God had to possess the ability to choose relationships freely. That's what God wanted. And obviously that freedom allowed some to choose not to love or worship or obey the creator. And that's exactly what some creatures decided and still decide not to follow their creator. Okay, then let's start with the father of lies, as Jesus called him. We have to assume that he was created not evil. Yeah, back to the Job passage we've seen before. Uh, we saw all the heavenly beings rejoicing as God created this universe. Yeah, that was the Job 38 verse, when all the sons of God shouted with joy. Uh-huh. And apparently at that point, all was still good. So something happened between that time and Adam and Eve's encounter with the serpent. Once again, we have to pick a few clues in scripture and kind of piece things together and get a possible scenario for the devil's origin. Yes. In Ezekiel 28, 12, right? It looks like Ezekiel yeah. 28 could be referring to the origin of the devil. Raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So a good being in this verse, not specifically named as Lucifer or Hillel as the Hebrew word was, but see if he emerges in the next passages here. Okay, so in Ezekiel 28, 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Hmm. People argue about this verse because it doesn't specifically mention Lucifer or Satan. And some people say it's talking about Adam or someone else. But in the verses just prior to this, it actually talks to the prince of Tyre, who we assume was a real man. Scholars tell us this is a typical Old Testament thing to start by talking about a lesser and then move to a greater. Go ahead and read the next verses, though. It gets better. Okay. Ezekiel 28, 14. So you were an anointed guardian cherub. You were on the holy mountain of God. Yeah, so now it kind of gets to be a stretch to make this Adam. He It definitely says he's a cherub, and we already know that that's a set of characteristics. And apparently he was a very special cherub, an anointed guardian cherub. Mm. And he was on the holy mountain of God. Yeah, I think by this point, we're pretty sure we're with a supernatural being. 
Okay, and in verses 15 and 17 of Ezekiel 28, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So at this point in time, this being sinned, and apparently some way it was related to vanity and pride. There's another passage too for us to look at in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Yeah, that reference to star again, and also some extra biblical texts do call Lucifer a day star. Oh. So that would be understood as as at least the name for Lucifer right there. Yeah, a lot of light imagery too, which yeah. we talked about Lucifer's name. Shining that. one, yeah. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. There's the Mount of the Assembly, the Divine Council again. So, yeah, all of these things put together. I've heard this called the five I wills, and it's the pride of Satan that I am going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to be above the stars of God, or in in that case, the other angels. Yes. So he he had a big ambition in mind right there. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Yeah. Verse 15, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. To make yourself like the Most High. So that was his plan, to be the Most High. Mm. And we really, we don't know Satan's mind at this time. So people would ask, well, how could he possibly think that he could be God? Well, he's not perfect intelligence. So maybe at that point, it seemed like he could take over. Mm. I don't think he would have tried unless it seemed like that was a possibility in some way. But we we see here the first hint of his demise right here, that he will be brought down into the far reaches of the pit. And then at some point after all of this is Eden, and we see an unusual creature called the serpent. This is the first appearance of Satan in the natural realm timeline, isn't it? Yeah, most people think so. Uh, The word serpent, once again, it doesn't say the devil. So, you know, you're overstepping a little bit if you you just come out and say, well, it says Satan or the devil here. But no, it says the the serpent. But we also know the word serpent was going to be used later on. And serpent in itself is is kind of interesting because the word nakash in Hebrew, remember Hebrew doesn't have vowels. Mm. And so unless you were actually hearing it, you wouldn't get this subtle little difference that he's talking about here. And I think this was intentional. I don't think it was meant to be confusing. Anyway, Nakash also sounds like shining, just like Lucifer. So you could use the word Nakash, and we're not sure what the vowels would be, but it would be the same consonants as in serpent or shining one. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. You've got both of those together and probably as kind of a, a pun, I guess. The Apostle John seems to equate Satan with the serpent in Revelation 22, when he says, And the angel sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Yeah, Four so names you, in the same verse. If you're going to believe John, then all, all the same thing. The devil, Satan, the dragon, the serpent, all the same person. I think we're safe in assuming that Satan is all of the above we've talked about. 
It's interesting because Genesis, the serpent and Revelation, the serpent, you know, the beginning and the ending of the Bible. Uh, he's a yep. main character throughout the whole thing. That's right. Yeah. So Satan is the ultimate evil, but he wasn't alone in his rebellion. Right. Looking at Ephesians six twelve again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Once again, it mentions at least four different types of evil supernatural entities, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And like we said before, it's hard to say exactly the uh, hierarchy that we're looking at, but they do seem to be a higher ranking than just angels and demons or something else. Maybe. It does seem like these are part of the sons of God, the Bene Elohim, yeah. as we discussed last time. Those of you who haven't listened to those podcasts, please listen to episode two for a context of what we're talking about. But we also have at least two evil princes mentioned in Daniel. Are these demons then? Yeah, I think the word demon is problematic sometimes. A lot of places that seems to be more of a role than a, an actual given name, such as mm -hmm. like we said with angel, an angel's a role. We tend to kind of lump all entities under the name demon, which is pragmatically okay. The Bible uses various names for Satan's followers, though, and that's the important thing to know, that they're all under Satan's command, whatever they are, whatever we call them. And in some sense, we deal with them the same way. I hear some people refer to them collectively as fallen angels, which mm -hmm. I think is okay, too. Two places in the Old Testament call them Shadim. The New Testament usually uses the term demon, though, or unclean spirit. That was Jesus's favorite thing to call them. They uh -huh. do have differing characteristics. We know that from Ephesians 6. Some Bible interpreters have demons as the disembodied spirits of Nephilim, which we'll talk uh -huh. about that later. It's kind of controversial. For now, though, let's just reemphasize that they all have a common purpose under their leader, Satan. And let's do what most do and refer to them just generally as demons from now on. So how many types of demons are there? At least four? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The four mentioned in Ephesians. Look at Jude 1 verse 6. Okay. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. So that's yeah. plural. They're angels. Yeah. So there's at least two, which I would okay. assume it's more than that. Second uh, Peter 2, 4 says, for if God did not spare angels when they sin. So there again, we have plural, still possibly a handful. Matthew 25, 41 says the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that ties the word demons into fallen angels. And in Mark 5, 9. Then Jesus asked the demon-possessed man, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Um, and we know that a Roman army legion was about 5,000. Yeah, so that could be a clue there that they're, they're at least in the thousands some way. But I think here's the clincher. Most people look at Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 4, and this is 
looking back, I think. It's talking about Satan in the future, but it's looking backwards. And it's talking about the dragon. But it says, the dragon's tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. If the stars here are angels, this could be referring to that prehistory event that we talked about earlier where Satan fell. But he also brought a third of the angels with him. Wow. So, so whatever, a lot. That could be up in the billions again. Yeah. So the thrust of Paul's warning in Ephesians 6 is that there is an evil agenda led by Satan. The implication is that we should be informed about that agenda in order to stand against it. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'm thinking, though, that Satan isn't anywhere near God in power, and he's not omnipresent like God. Can he be that much of an immediate threat? That's a good point. Sometimes I tend to blame Satan on different things that happen to me for tempting me and harassing me. But you're right. He's not omnipresent. And seriously, I doubt that I rank high enough on his agenda to have ever received his personal attention. More than likely, it's one of his cohorts or one of his followers that probably is the one that's dealing with most of us. And again, based on Ephesians 6, I believe Satan has organized an evil counterfeit to the divine counsel. He has to delegate his agenda through the ranks of his followers. That's also backed up in Ephesians 6. Paul mentions the devil in verse 11 and then focuses on the Mm -hmm. lesser beings in 12. Yeah, exactly. Our threat comes from Satan, but through his minions. But I think we can still talk about temptation or evil as coming from Satan and that his followers, Mm -hmm. for all all practical purposes, they carry out his traits of lying, deceiving, and, and so on. So if it's true of Satan, it's probably true of the demons under him. So back to Ephesians 6, the word schemes, some translations say wiles, like wild e coyote. My favorite cartoon. (laughs) And I think coyote might be a good representation here. I've often thought of him as the devil. But anyway, he didn't just wait for Roadrunner. He had a a carefully planned scheme to catch him, uh, usually something from Acme that he had ordered ahead of time. (laughs) But he used deceit and trickery. So, yeah. They were complicated, specifically geared for Roadrunner. Satan's Mm -hmm. schemes are custom designed for his targets. He is deviously deceptive. He knows human psychology. After all, he's had a millennia to observe us. And he knows what hooks will get us distracted from the truth. This principle will pop up many times in future episodes. Yeah, it will. Exactly. And I think that's what's behind Paul's urgency in this passage. We have to be proactive in dealing with supernatural enemies, even though that's like we said earlier, that may be scary and we don't like to think about things like that. Being proactive is the only way to overcome evil. So kind of like being on guard. Yeah. Um, So what do you think is Satan's agenda? It may help a little bit to understand what his future is. So currently... Ephesians 2, verse 2, it says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we know that he is active right now. and He can go where he wants to within God's will and do what he wants to. However, scripture assures us that Christ's sacrifice completely defeated Satan. So it's like he knows his defeat, but for a little while anyway, he's free to go and do what he wants. 
Matthew 25, 14 mentions eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So yeah, they, they all know what their future is going to be, I think. And we know that Satan knows scripture probably mm-hmm. better than we do. He oh, and yeah. his followers know their fate. Definitely. Even if Lucifer might have originally thought he could take over as God, I think he knows pretty much by now that that's, that's off the table. So Matthew chapter 8 has a very interesting account that reveals a lot about what demons know. Jesus encountered two demon-possessed men in the tombs, verse 29, and behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So they not only recognized who Jesus truly was, they were expecting a time in the future in which they would be punished. Yeah. So verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. 31. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Hmm. They they knew that Jesus had the authority to do anything he wanted with them. And they were very much afraid that at that point he was going to cast them into the place that's, we'll see this later, it's called Tartarus or the Abyss. Yeah. And not sure how that works either, because some demons right now are in the abyss. Right. Some are not. So at some point, some of them must have done something that was way bad compared to the others, because they're already in a a holding tank somewhere. And in Revelation, it even says that some will be released from that place for a short period of time. Yikes. (laughs) But anyway. Demons seemingly don't like to be disembodied spirits, or at least some of them don't. They have to be in, or they would rather be in something. And in this case, an animal of all things. So It's so interesting. Yeah. It does seem in scripture that the devil's actions are all aimed at us now. It kind of, I feel like the idea of like, if I can't have it, then you can't have it either. Or yeah, that's kind that of a, one way of looking at it. He very much knows that he can't be God, but he just wants to hurt God's children. And that definitely is a way of hurting God, I think. It takes away his glory, and that's what Satan is aiming at. The Most High God allowed himself to be vulnerable by loving us, and that definitely didn't take away any of his glory or his traits. But when we hurt, he hurts. We know that. We know that from Jesus. And when we, his children, follow Satan's temptings, it robs God of glory. And it also robs us of a relationship with God. Yeah. Um, but even all of that is still within God's sovereignty in yeah, some we, way. Yeah, we have to keep remembering that. That, And as, as little as I understand about that, how God could just let Satan do what he wants to, everything that he allows is for a purpose. And we have to believe that. We have to accept it. Luther once said that the devil is God's ape. It's he went on to say it's like he's on a leash and he can just go as far as God wants him to do to do a certain thing. But whatever the case in the big picture, we know whatever God allows Satan to do now that eventually it will glorify God and it'll be for our own good, too. The promise in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not all things are are good, but all things work for good. I like to think sometimes that God can take our trash and make it into a treasure. (laughs) And I've seen that a lot in my life. (laughs) I depend on that. On our side of things, though, there are specific ways that the devil tries to manipulate us humans. 
and all are aimed at opposing God's will and especially the truth of his words. That's the target of Satan because he's the father of lies. He concentrates on lying, which obviously is the opposite of God's truth. Yeah, the very first time we see him in Genesis 3 as the serpent, he's twisting God's words and getting into Eve's head. He attacked Adam and Eve at their weakest points. And this becomes crucially important when we talk about paranormal things. Satan will do whatever it takes to deceive us, hurt us, manipulate us, and ultimately lead us away from truth. And that's what Jesus said. He is the father of lies. That's what he does. And he doesn't play by any rules except for any limitations that God places on him. He may even take one step backward to eventually gain two steps forward. Satan will often look like a good being. In fact, mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Can you imagine that? Yeah, well, and that kind of relates back to the first episode when you shared about the guy's worldview changed after his paranormal encounter. Yeah. Um, But it's surprising, right? Because we always think that Satan should have horns and a pointy tail. (laughs) Yeah, that medieval thing. Lucifer was one of the most dazzling creatures God ever created, and there's no indication he lost that beauty when he fell. And I assume demons as well can appear to be attractive if they want to, or any other way. Whatever whatever works in a deception, they will try. So your book has a list of some specific ways he gets us. Um, for example, hindering in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan can either affect our mind, which is kind of creepy, or someone else's mind, or he can even arrange situations around us in certain ways. I think that's actually not always creepy, though, but just, again, knowing that I can filter my thoughts through that mindset of, no, I don't need to entertain that thought. That's not of God, and that's not going to be good things for me, you know? Yeah. I've heard um, people say it's it's kind of like a whisper. You don't actually hear a voice. Uh, it's just a nudging to do something. And it's so it's so subtle that you, well, most of the time you'll think it's yourself, but that's um, the way tempting works. Yeah. The other thing in your book, the second one is tempting. Um, examples in Matthew 4.10 and 1 Corinthians 7.5, um, quote, make us think about or desire. I don't know how that works either, but he kind of pushes that little human thing that says i want this yeah but it's very effective choose to act on it or not right yeah Um, there's that other verse i think it's in timothy or titus it says like take your thoughts captive um yeah so that satan can't do it yeah don't let them run crazy around in your head right Mm because that's when it starts um and also in your book keeping from truth mark 4 15 blinding us to truth, keeping us away from material or teaches teachers of truth. Yeah, I think that could be physical too. Either we see the truth and our mind just doesn't pick up on it, or we actually have situations that prevent us from going to church or prevent us from reading yeah. the Bible at a certain time. Hmm. Um, and then there's causing to say things. Peter got in big trouble with that. Yeah. Do you want to share that part, what Peter does? Yeah, wasn't that where... Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, 
Yeah. So he even he he was assuming, or I guess Jesus was just coming out and saying that that was actually Satan talking through Peter at that point. Placing lies in the mind, which I think kind of goes along with the tempting and keeping yeah, the tree. Like tempting. Acts 5, 3. Can a demon actually put a thought in my head? Yeah. Scary, isn't it? I mean, it is scary, but again, it's not if you know that Jesus ultimately won the battle. And if you filter your thoughts through God's word and doesn't have to be so scary. And and we're told that all through scripture, you know, like you just said, take your thoughts captive and don't let your mind just run crazy. I have to say that verse out loud a lot. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good Um, one. Then also in your book, causing sickness, Luke 13, 16, there's actual sometimes physical effects of the way Satan can be used Uh in our lives. Even as far back as Job, remember God gave Satan permission Mm -hmm. and he said, what if I made Job sick? And he said, well, try it, see what happens. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that was all Satan just causing him. And like we said earlier, not every sickness obviously is satanic, but Right. That's kind of interesting that some sicknesses actually could be. In the Gospels, Jesus sometimes heals the sickness, and sometimes the sickness is the demons, and he casts them out. Isn't that um, interesting? Yeah, it he, is, especially knew, in our modern world. He knew the difference. World. Yeah, he could yeah. tell whether it was a real physical sickness or something demonic. I feel like that kind of ties back into our whatever happened to the supernatural first episode is that You know, a lot of people, I mean, we live in a world where people are sick and we have pills for that, but we don't necessarily live in a world in America where people acknowledge that there could be demon activity. Do you think that could be possible more than we think? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, the last one that you have here is performing signs and wonders in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, back to the supernatural. Yeah, and that raises that question, can things from the unseen realm affect physically things in this realm? And I think we do have several cases of that, too. Here in Thessalonians, it talks about Satan being able to do signs and wonders, and that apparently means that something physical has changed. Also, I think back to Job again, one of the things that Satan was allowed to do was, was to bring a great wind to destroy Job's house and crush his children. So controlling weather. And Jesus actually spoke to the storm one time. It looks exactly like he's addressing the storm, assuming that it was Satan causing the storm. Well, and also the pigs that we just talked about. I mean, those Uh are physical pigs. Yeah, definitely. Physical things that probably wouldn't have jumped off a cliff unless it made them do that. That's just always made me wonder, too. Why did they jump off a cliff? We will look at this topic again in an upcoming episode. The important thing now, though, is to know that demons can't possess believers. The Holy Spirit lives inside of God's children, and I don't think the Spirit of God would share a habitation with Hmm. demons. But Jesus took demons seriously. He had complete authority over them in every case just as he still does with every unclean spirit anywhere, any situation. And that is comforting. So we have a creative, devious, hard to detect, super intelligence with a vast army of creatures set on doing us harm. Uh, yes. That's scary. Or it would be, but I've read the last chapter, so to speak. 
And we emphasize yet again, if you're feeling scared, sad, helpless, or distressed right now, remember, we've been discussing only one side of the story, the dark side. And for you listeners who are truly born-again believers, you have the Spirit of God actually living inside as a defense against anything evil entities can throw at you. This doesn't mean you won't be tempted and can let down your guard, but we as children of God have access to spiritual armor through what Christ has done for us. Yes, the purpose of the Ephesians 6 passage is not to make us cringe, but to assure us that we can stand against the devil. The armor Paul mentions is detailed later in verses 14 through 18. He uses the metaphor of how a Roman soldier prepares for battle. We have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the word of God as a sword. And most importantly, in verse 18, prayer, we are called to pray and be alert. And uh, most important is to remember that we use prayer. In verse 18, we're called to pray and be alert. And that is how we put on all of that armor through prayer. Prayer is the backdrop of this whole passage. And basically, these things are available. But Paul says we have to put them on. Our salvation is free, but living a strong Christian life requires effort. Yeah, and those things give us discernment to recognize evil when it rears its head. That's one of our goals with this episode is to help you be aware of Satan's schemes and stand against them. James 4, 7 gives a very straightforward rule for dealing with evil beings. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I've heard of all kinds of recipes to ward mm -hmm. off evil. You know, Hollywood has something like you hold up a cross or you chant something or throw holy water. But no, the Bible is very clear. Stay committed to God, and if you sense the enemy, just say no. Resist him. Give God the responsibility of handling Satan. And if you are not a child of God under his protection, why not? The Most High wants you to have victory over the devil, but even more, he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to have peace with him. If you're thinking that's a difficult or debatable thing to do, I think you'll find it much easier than you imagine. We have a quick pod that tells all about God's plan for giving you eternal life through Jesus. I urge you to listen to that as soon as possible. Our next episode is a short but very important presentation of the Ephesians hypothesis. This is a principle we'll use in all of our future episodes. And then in episode five, get ready. Oh boy. Deep into the paranormal with an exploration of ghosts and other things that go bump in the night. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to comment or ask questions, send us an email at godandtheparanormal at gmail.com. You can also get more information at our website, thinkingaboutthebible.com. If you found this podcast useful or interesting, please share it with others. Also, please subscribe here on this YouTube page and give us a thumbs up. Also, if you want more information about the topics that we are going to discuss or have discussed, you can look up Dr. McWilliams' book, God and the Paranormal, available at Amazon.com. Goodbye for now.